0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. The day that Moses died and Joshua became the new leader of Israel, God spoke directly to Joshua. This was not the first time that God had done this. They had quite a history together. And God knew Joshua, and everybody else who knew him knew that he was a brave and courageous person. Just to make sure, I never know exactly who all is listening online or anywhere else today or later. So just to make sure we're on the same page really quickly, I want to welcome everybody. Thank you for listening to this and and, and exploring God's Word with us. But I also just want to review really quickly the story of Joshua. He was born a slave in Egypt. Uh, All of the stories in Exodus, in one way or another, he's involved. He was an assistant to uh, Moses. He was a military commander. He was one of the 12 spies, one of the two who actually was faithful and trusted God. Uh, I could go on and on. This was an amazing guy before he became the leader of Israel. And so God knew him well. And I just think that makes what he says to him here even more significant. Here's what God says to Joshua On that day, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. So far, it sounds like just a pep talk, but now he's going to give him a reminder. And I I know from the rest of the story of Joshua that he also did this already. But again, God's reminding him, these are the things that are going to make it work. This is the plan I have for you. This is how it's going to happen. If you follow the plan, it's going to work. I know you know that. Be bold. But remember, this is what it takes. Be careful. Be careful A couple things to note really quickly. When he says you'll be prosperous and successful, let's not read our modern definitions of that into it. What he's telling him is everything I told you you would do, everything I empowered you to do, it's going to happen exactly as I told you it would. But not only that, uh, let's also remember that all he had of the scriptures up to this point were the first five books. The, Joshua was being written in real time. Are you following me on this? He didn't have the whole Bible that we have. He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in their original forms. And whatever it was, little scratchings from Moses and whatever notes and whatever it was that the Holy Spirit had used at the very beginning. That's what he had. But they were focused on it. They were saturated with it. They were living it. They were trying their best to completely just absorb it in every way. God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be a discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If this is your first time and you've never even heard any of the other things we've talked about the last couple of weeks, I don't wanna put you on the spot, but I'd like to give you just a moment to ask, how's it going at this point as we've all been reminding each other here to do uh, solitude and silence You can visit with the person right next to you just kind of quietly for a second or just make little notes. Give yourself a thumbs up emoji or down on your phone. I don't care. How's it going so far? Last week we talked about meditating. Um, Actually, we talked about the scripture. Today we're talking about the meditation side, but we talked about just marinating in God and in his word. I hope that you're getting closer. Today, we're looking at four other spiritual disciplines, and they all go together. We're going to start by saying this together, if you would. If what's on the screen here says, let God restore you, let's say that together. Let God restore you. Those of you who are taking notes, this is the first thing you can write down. That's really what meditation is all about. In modern culture and in a lot of other religions, um, the idea of meditation is more like what we would call silence and solitude. It's basically trying to just clear your mind of everything else. It's trying to get rid of everything and just not think about anything. But scripturally, that's a good thing to do sometimes. That's silence and solitude. We need that. But what meditation is in the scripture is to focus on God, to focus on him, focus on his word, to actually get just absolutely saturated by him. It's kind of like this. Imagine this is you. This is me. We live out in the world And we get saturated by the stuff of the world. Those who are only listening, I'm dipping a sponge in some stuff. And that's all I can tell you. We got to just, if you're here, you get to see the visual. So we become saturated by the stuff of the world. It's not really our fault. It's not really who we are. But that's what happens when you are out in the world. You get saturated by it. So when we're squeezed, when stuff gets hard, that's what comes out. You follow me? So there's what, what what God teaches us to do is find some ways, first of all, to get rid of that stuff. To get, get rid of it, to using silence and solitude and other things. We, we get rid of as much of it as possible. It's only really possible through the blood of Jesus. We can't cleanse ourselves. But there are things that we can do to kind of let that stuff go. But meditation is on the other thing. Meditation is where we saturate ourselves in God and what is good and clean and perfect. And then when stuff gets rough, that's what comes out. You see the difference? And that's why it's so important. It's not enough to just get rid of the dirt. We've got to get rid of the dirt and then saturate ourselves in Him. And then the really, really good stuff can start happening. I've been reading the um, complete... Jewish Bible translation recently, got that from one of our guest speakers a while back, really learning a lot. One of the things it does is a very accurate translation directly from the original languages, but it leaves in some key words from Hebrew that Jews would recognize and a lot of us would not. And it's a clue to, hey, dig deeper. So I'm going to read to you today in just a second from um, that version, but I want to clear up a, a word here first. There's a word called tzedakah. Not Neil Sadaka, not like breaking up is hard to do, not that. This is a Jewish word. And, and it often means charity, it means giving to the poor. But what it really means is righteousness. It means just all the stuff that God loves. And so the, the idea of giving is so central to God that eventually the Jews just became, when, when they gave, they just called it. We would say maybe charity, I guess but they just called that, they use that word righteousness as this is is what we do to practice the goodness. Here's what it says on your handout. If you wanna write this down, there's two more things. The word renews and the word saturates. I'll go ahead and read this and then we'll keep on going. I'm gonna read you some scripture here. When we focus on God's sadaka, he renews our strength and our perspective. Biblical meditation, which is the opposite of worry, saturates us in God and in everything that he cares about. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Be careful not to parade your acts of sadaka in front of people in order to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do tzedakah, notice he doesn't say if. He doesn't say, hey, if you ever feel led or if you'd ever like to do something nice for someone, keep this in mind. He's, he's talking to a, a Jewish audience at the very beginning and also those who are going to follow him. This is righteousness. This is something he expects from us. So when you do tzedakah, don't announce it with trumpets to win people's praise like the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets. Yes, I tell you, they have their reward already. But you, when you do tzedakah, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then your tzedakah will be in secret. And your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has already laid a whole lot of foundation up to this point, and he keeps going after this point. But right here in the middle, he's really making a big deal about who do you really serve? He says things like, you can only serve one master. You can't serve God and Money. He talks about if the light within you is darkness, then everything is dark. You, 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 no matter what's going on inside of you or around you, if, if you don't have the light of God inside of you, you're missing everything. And he builds all of that, and then he says for quite some time, that famous passage, Therefore, do not worry. Sometimes that seems kind of disconnected because a lot of us, worry is like kind of disconnected. Oh, I believe God's got it under control, but man, I sure hope this doesn't happen. We don't see that that's almost the opposite thing. Worry is basically meditation backwards. Worry is when we take all the stuff that we cannot control, the stuff that we absolutely have no way to control at all, all the dark stuff, all the fears, all the doubts, all the questions, and we just saturate ourselves in that. And then we wonder why when stress happens, that's what comes out. The only solution is not only to get rid of that, just saying don't worry doesn't work. What does work is practice these simple practices God gives us and then saturate ourselves in him and his goodness, his righteousness that tzedakah is his very nature it's who he is, it's his personality it's everything about him and we meditate on that and little by little that becomes us little by little that's the stuff of us as well as the stuff of God Psalm 1 As always, the Old Testament and the New Testament harmonize. They're saying the same thing in different ways, sometimes even in the same way. But it starts out like this. How blessed are those who reject the advice of the wicked, who don't stand in the way of sinners or sit where scoffers sit. In other words, they don't saturate themselves. They don't meditate on the worry and the fear and the brokenness and the sin. Instead, their delight is in Adonai's Torah. This is still that same version. And Adonai means Lord. Torah means, it kind of means their Bible, but it also means just the way of righteousness. It's it's like an arrow shooting at a bullseye, that straight and narrow, perfect path toward God. That's why they call their scriptures the Torah. Their delight is in Adonai's Torah. And on his Torah, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams. They bear their fruit in season and their leaves never wither. Everything they do succeeds. Dallas Willard is an author that I respect a lot, and he he puts all the spiritual disciplines in two categories. uh, By the way, when we say these are biblical, it's because they're throughout the whole Bible. You see Jesus and so many others practicing them. Some of them are taught. Some of them are explained. Some of you just kind of read between the lines and see them in the stories. But throughout, throughout the Bible, what you won't see is a list of them in the Bible. You won't see, by the way... Here's the little section. This is the one chapter that outlines every single one of these. You won't see that in there. So some authors try to do this and they do it in different ways. But I like the way Dallas Willard does it. He says they all fall in two categories: abstinence and engagement. Abstinence is where we have realized that we have been saturated, probably by some good stuff, not just all bad stuff, but we realize that so we we fast, we get silent. We go off alone. We do all those things where we get rid of all the stuff, all the extra stuff. We practice simplicity. We get rid of all of those. And all the rest of them have to do with uh, engagement, as in we actually connect with God. And we connect with other people. And we connect with what's true and what's real and what's powerful and what can actually change the world and change us from the inside out. And then... That's what comes out of us. Is this tracking so far? Is this making sense? It's so powerful. But a lot of times, we, these four things we're talking about today, we don't really think of as, as powerfully engaging as they are. Meditation, again, if you just think of meditation as more of an abstinence thing, I'm just going to sit here on a rock and say, mm. that really doesn't do that much good. But when you focus on what is real, that does. And when you serve others, I mean, that's a great thing, no matter why you serve and what you believe and who you serve. If you're serving others, there's something of the image of God in us, no matter how broken and twisted we sometimes make it. There's something in us as humans that we just know that's the right thing to do. When we help others, when we give of ourselves, we just know this is, this is good. Something about this is good. It's hard work. It's crazy. It costs me something. but This is good right? We know this. And service, is, it, it fills you back up with that. Celebration and worship, these are such powerful things. I, sir, I, I just hope that all of you come back tonight and celebrate it with us as we eat, as we, as we sing, as we praise God together, as we share testimonies. We're just 100%. Thanksgiving to us at Morrison Hill is just 100% about God himself. It's just expressing our gratitude to him. That's that's what we celebrate here. Rich Mullins says it this way. You sang it just a few minutes ago. I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. One of his mentors, Brennan Manning, wrote this. When being is divorced from doing, pious thoughts become an adequate substitute for washing dirty feet. I'm going to read that one more time. When being is divorced from doing, pious thoughts become an adequate substitute for washing dirty feet. Just a, I don't know. I don't know what to call it, life hack maybe? I don't know. But just as you read the scriptures, always just kind of keep your eyes wide open and you'll see that there's no way to separate faith from action. We're not saved by works, but we're saved by faith that produces works, right? Right? We're not saved by ourselves, but we're only saved when we put our faith in Jesus and then do whatever Jesus says. And you go through any section where it sounds like it's all just what you think or believe in your head, the very next verse, so the verse right before it is something you got to do. And when it looks like, hey, it's all about what you do, just look around. You're going to see something else where it says, no, it's not about what you do. It's, It's about what you believe and why you do what you do. It's always connected. It's always connected. It's always connected. So one of the best ways that we can meditate on God is not just to get alone, but also to serve others. Because meditation, again, is about, it's about us focusing on who God is and what he does. It's us being saturated by the Sadaka. And then we just have to get rid of the sadaka. It's going to drip out of us. Do you see that? It's going to drip whether we like it or not. And when we squeeze it and we want it to come out, man, alive. It's so great. And then we just crave to be filled again. And it keeps this cycle going. That is exactly how God has designed us to live. It's why it feels so good. Even if we don't know why, that's why. So our second big thing that we do together, let's say this out loud if you would, and if you're a note taker, write this down. Help God restore others. Help God restore others. Because when we serve, we experience God's original ideals. We live it. We actually are submerged in it. We're saturated by it. When we live in love, we get a taste at least of what life was supposed to be like before sin and all the other stuff broke it. It, 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 What God is like. I mean, it's always a a dim reflection because we're all still human beings. And whether we like it or not, we all get saturated by the dark stuff. We still live over here, right? I'm not the only one. But I'm telling you that service can be the most powerful form of meditation. If you write down two more blanks, that's the next ones. When we serve, we experience God's original ideals. That is why service can be the most powerful form of meditation. You don't just learn it, you do it. Anybody here ever learned how to play an instrument? Raise your hand. Okay. I think you know what I'm talking about. Could you really learn to play an instrument by watching somebody else play it? And they go, see, you just put your fingers like this and you do this. That's where it starts. But you don't really learn until you actually do it. And you don't fall in love with it until you do it over and over and over again. And you start getting muscle memory. And you, you just sit down and your fingers and your body just kind of starts in the instrument. And you're just... You can't help yourself. It's just part of you. That's the more you do it yourself, the better it gets. It has to start with focusing on somebody else, really listening. No, this is how you do it. This is a D chord. This is a C chord. This is a note. This is how a chord works. This is how you do it on piano. This is how you do it on, key, on, on guitar. This is how it works. It has to, you have to start there and saturate yourself in that. And then you also have to do it. Or otherwise, you just know some facts about how it's supposed to be done. In the early church, uh, there were several things that happened. Um, we read these stories in Acts, and we see them referred to in the epistles, the letters that Paul and others wrote. One of the things that happened was there was a big famine, and a bunch of churches in the Corinth area took up a huge offering and sent it with Paul and some others to provide for another group of churches. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and he says this, this service that you perform, he's referring to that big offering, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Rich Mullins says, Never forget what Jesus did for you. Never take lightly what it cost him. And never assume that if it cost him his very life, that it won't cost you yours. He also said this, I am a Christian, not because someone explained the nuts and bolts of Christianity to me, but because there were people who were willing to be nuts and bolts, who through their explanation of it, held it together so that I could experience it and be compelled by it to obey. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. And that's why this, these last two big things are so intimately tied. It sounds like they're different. We think the way we normally think about meditation, we think that's very private. It's something we do alone, and it can be, and it needs to be. We need, like all the other things we're talking about these couple weeks, we practice them alone, we practice them in small groups, and we practice them in a big group. But meditation is not just the small group or alone stuff. It's stuff we do together. We focus. We do whatever it takes to not only get rid of all the other stuff, but completely saturate ourselves in the things of God. And when that happens, it's even more powerful together. When we do it together, there's even more when we all get wrung out. And then we all fall back in and there's a bigger splash and there's a bigger everything because we're doing it together. And it gets beautiful. And that's why we celebrate and that's why we worship. And another mysterious thing that's throughout the scriptures in several different ways and explicit in a couple of places is that somehow, even though God is everywhere, God is literally everywhere in the universe at the same time in a way that only God can do, he's extra present somehow in the praises of his people. Have you heard this before? It's real. It's absolutely real. There's something about when we collectively praise God. When we shout to him, when we pray to him, when we quote scripture back to him, when we say things that are true together, like help restore others a second ago, when we sing, when we dance or play instruments, if we go that direction, you don't have to, you can praise God a lot of different ways. But when we praise him together, something amazing happens and he is even more present. He's especially Present. God is more tangibly present when his people praise him. This is one of the reasons why we call it a worship service. We are serving God by praising him together, we are serving each other by doing it together. This process of doing it all together, saturating in the things of God and celebrating it, shouting it, singing. It's there. We're acknowledging that on our own and even together, we sometimes can get led astray and get completely saturated with the things of the world. But when we together get rid of that and we confess we get alone, even in the midst of a big crowd like this, we take a minute like we sometimes give you to just think and pray alone. But then together we get back into it. Little by little, We're just saturated with the things of God. And that starts to define us. That starts to be who we are, not only as individuals, but as a group. And the whole place starts to smell like Jesus. The whole place starts to just feel like God's here. You know why? Because he is. And he's everywhere, but he's especially in the praises of his people. And so we serve him and we serve others by getting together and celebrate him. Brendan Manning says, we should not be astonished at the goodness of God. I'm sorry, I totally said that wrong. We should be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he should bother to call us by name. Our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered that at this very moment, we are standing on holy ground. Psalm 22, which is a powerful psalm you should come back to. Jesus actually quoted from it on the cross, the first couple lines. But you go just a couple more lines down and there's so much gold and so much goodness. It talks about that God in that psalm, verse 3, it says that God lives in the presence of his people. It's another one of those Hebrew words that has so much more meaning in the original, we don't have an English word. So in English, sometimes it's translated as enthroned, sometimes as dwells, sometimes as lives, sometimes as is, we we try our best. The best way I can explain it is I, I know at my dad's house, he's got this one lazy boy. Anybody else got a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or somebody that has, there's a spot. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've got a man cave. Maybe you've got a she shed. You know what I'm talking about? There's a spot, okay? And that's your spot, okay? That's that's what this means. God's spot is the praises of his people. He's enthroned there. He lives there. He's himself fully there. He gets refreshed there. This is where he goes, ah yeah. Zephaniah 3:17 says, "The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing." Have you thought about that that while we're singing and praising God that he's singing over us? I, I don't know if he's singing the same songs. That would be kind of awkward, singing about himself to himself. But I think he's at least he's participating. That's what it says. I, I get the image of watching my my kids, or even myself. Sometimes I still do this. You're just you're just doing something you enjoy, and you just start kind of singing a song that's in your head. Am I the only person that does this? Ever sing that? I love it when kids kind of make it up, and they're just like, "Yeah, I am playing with the water and squeezing the." Soap out of the sponges. I love that. And I don't know exactly how God does it, but I, 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 this is the picture that he gives us. And this is the truth. This is what he's so excited about. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. May we all in the spirit of all of this say with David, therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. Several Months ago, I actually shared the story, the true story of um, how the song, the old hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus came to be. And um, because I've already told it, and you can find really cool, dramatic videos on YouTube and several other places, um, I won't tell the whole story, but here's the bottom line. Where that song came from was in India. There was a man who was martyred. And as they were killing his wife and then his kid and then eventually him, he said in those moments, I have decided to follow Jesus and kill his wife. He says, "Though none go with me. Still I will follow. They kill his kids. The, the world behind me, the cross before me, they kill him. And they kept that alive. They kept that memory alive in India. They remembered those three lines. And eventually another Indian man set that to music. And if you really listen closely, it actually, the melody and everything sounds very Indian. We just kind of, we've really Americanized it back in George Beverly Shea. may you know, remember that? I'm kind of dating myself there. Billy Graham, I have decided, that, that guy. It was beautiful, though. It was great. Here's the point, and the only reason I mention that story as we wrap up this morning. That was not something that guy did spontaneously. That's not something that he just goes, oh, no, they're going to kill me. I better not deny Jesus. You know how that happened? He had buried. Methodically, with his whole family over and over, intentionally rid himself of everything else that would keep him from a hundred percent given everything to Jesus. And he had methodically over and over with his whole family, saturated himself in the things of God. He was living that idea. I have decided to follow Jesus and none go with me, still I will follow. Uh, The world behind me, the cross, there it was. And so in the moment of the worst imaginable stress, the worst imaginable thing to happen, that's what came out. That's why we're talking about this this morning. This isn't judgment on you not reading the Bible enough or you not praying enough. It's not condemnation. It's an invitation that this is available to us. When we do this alone, when we do this in small groups, when we do this as a big group and we prioritize meditation, we prioritize serving, we prioritize worship and celebration, we are transformed in these ways. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, I simply ask you to consider doing these things we talk about. Let God restore you. That's what's going to happen when you meditate. Help God restore others. That's what's going to happen when you serve. And then bless God together. We're going to do that so much tonight. We're going to do that with one last song right now. I invite you to participate, to give everything to Him. If you've got a big decision you need to make, this is a good time. I'll be at the back. My dad will be up here wherever you're more comfortable. If you want to come and pray, if you want to keep it silent and quiet, that's fine. But let's do some business with God right here. Let's saturate ourselves in him. Let's serve him by celebrating and worshiping him together right here, right now.